Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Hey, where are you going, Jim? The elevator's over here. Taking the stairs. But our meeting's up on eight. Yeah, I know. But that's eight floors up. That's like eight times eight. I don't know. A lot of stairs. That's the point. I've already lost a few pounds and earned almost $100 in wellness incentives. Whoa, you're getting rewarded for working out? Yeah, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are, Bob. Fearless is full of surprises. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits and sign up at fepblue.org slash choose blue by December 11th. And welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson with Echelon Insights. And each week, we're going to bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and entertainment and pop culture. So thanks for all the nice words from everyone out there about my move. This is now the end of week one for me here at my new home. And one thing that has been really awesome is all the folks who are secret Pollsters listeners who have been saying... Great. Congrats on the move. Also, I love the pollster. So we thank you guys so much. Um, in fact, one other firm uh, in town said that her whole department listens to the show, which is cool. We spoke to somebody a week ago uh, who said that her whole office flags for her what parts of the show she should listen to. And that's also pretty cool. So we know you guys are out there, which is great, as opposed to just the 20 people who tweet us. We also love those folks, but it's great. All the people who are out there <laughs> listening to that we know you're listening is really fantastic. Um, and for folks who are going to be in Austin while they're listening to this, um, Kristen's going to be at APOR. You're headed to APOR, aren't you? I am. I fly out tomorrow morning. I'm so excited. Uh, I am sad, though. I'm only able to be at APOR for like 48 hours, so I will not be around for Applied Probability Night, which is fancy pollster speak for the poker tournament. Oh, that's good. I know, I know. But I am looking forward to, uh, to the extent possible, reliving Margie's college experience. We've been talking about this for weeks now. The time is here. <laughs> the time is now. Right. Once again, <laughs> go to the doctor. Get a checkup first before you do any <laughs> strenuous sure exertion. You have approval and from your physician. Check your attorney and <laughs> check with your attorney <laughs> and your uh, your life insurance plan, <laughs> and then you can go do it. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any advice? Any other advice for folks that are going to be in Austin? So, my favorite. So, some of my real favorite haunts are actually no longer there because they were many, many, many years ago. Um, one of them was right. I lived in a in a dorm. This was a dorm at the time. Texas had this thing called private dorms because they didn't have enough dorms for all the entering freshmen. So people paid to go private dorm and they would be competitive. Like we have the best closets or we have the best view and we have the best food. Hey, the market at work. I know. It's quite something. <laughs> and so I w went to one like we have the best food and the most lax rules and a pool. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's the one that sounds good to me. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> and so there was a... And that was called Castilian. And there was a little coffee shop out right out next to Castilian called Les Amis Cafe. That was my favorite haunt for a while, featured in the movie Slacker, along with Quackenbush, the other sort of 
you know, kind of uh, degenerate hangout <laughs> that was on the drag. But both of those places have closed. So now you can go to the Warehouse District, which is on 2nd Street by the Capitol, and then South Congress, which was really just like one or two places when I was there. Is now a whole host of cool stuff down there, cool stores and restaurants and bars. They're both very cool. You can you don't have to do 6th Street. 6th Street is sort of like 18th Street and Adams Morgan, you know, but for UT Austin, where it's just like chock-a-block with – you know, with kids doing their kid thing. You know, you don't really need to be there. <laughs> well, I'm I'm excited because I think Apor also has a lot of other type of entertainment planned for us. I think there's a food truck night for one of the dinners. So oh, that's good. I'm I'm really, really looking forward to this. But um if there are any of our other listeners who are gonna be at Apor, come find me. Uh, I planned last week to make up some stickers and a T-shirt that I could walk around wearing and, of course, am a total slacker and have not done those things. So my goal is I'm going to leave taping this podcast, go try to find a FedEx Kinko's and be like, how can you print this out in a way that I can iron it onto a T-shirt? <laughs> no, so exists. we'll see if that I can exists. succeed at this task within the next three hours before right. I have to go home and pack and then fly out. <laughs> well, you can make it like, you know, don't mess with the pollsters to have like a Texas theme or, you know, keep the pollsters weird. That was other Austin logo. Keep Austin, your slogan, keep Austin ah, weird. So make like an Austin themed right. the pollster shirt. I was right. just going to hand them our logo and like put our goofy faces on it. Yes, that's good too. We almost don't like, look like that anymore. <laughs> I know. We need new pictures. I can wear one. I, I need I need a picture where I've got my shorter hair and... One where I oh, have, like, child number two wrinkles. <laughs> I need that. My wrinkles updated. <laughs> I think we're looking pretty good today. Right now, so listeners, you don't know that you can't tell this. And I'm sorry. It's We've now been doing this for, like, five minutes, and we've not talked about a single poll. That's okay. But um, I have fake eyelashes on right now because I came from going on Fox News, which we'll talk more about that Fox News segment later in the show. Um, but they have put fake eyelashes on me, and I haven't taken them off yet because I haven't been home yet. And I'm worried if I take them off here, I'm going to, like – Take out my real eyelashes, but Margie yeah. is like, <laughs> no, they're pretty serious. Ridiculous. They're pretty serious. They're really serious about the lashes. I have tarantulas on my face. Yeah, it, that's kind of SOP in the Fox makeup room is uh, lashes, which, you know, I didn't even wear in my wedding, but. So, yeah, I, I didn't either. I'm So I'm probably at, you know, a distance of 50 paces. I'm probably looking great, but like <laughs> sitting across the table from me, she's <laughs> like, that Kristen, she sure. <laughs> People at home are like, I don't know what it is, but everything she says sure sounds sharp. I don't know. There's it's something. The what is it? I can't quite put my finger on my it. My favorite part is that I can smell my face right now. <laughs> Be glad you guys can't smell my face. That's right. Sm- All right. Let's actually talk radio. about some polling. Uh, top lines. Uh, the Democratic primary is still experiencing a controlled burn. Get it? Feel the burn. We'll talk about what's still happening on the D side of the aisle. Then Quinnipiac says Trump is competitive in places like Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Florida. Is this for real? People are now doing long reads on little screens. We'll talk about the changes in ways that people are consuming news. Everyone hates standardized testing, except maybe the students. We'll look at some polling about how kids compare to parents, administrators, and teachers on education policy. Is socialism on the march? We'll look at how it stacks up to things like capitalism and more. And finally, we'll talk about some polls that give new meaning to the phrase swipe right. So our first, our poll of the week, PPP, as you, as folks know, they're so good at this. Like they are class A troll poll. Yeah. I mean, they they just know what we want before we want it. And here's what we all want, America. We want a poll knowing is Donald Trump more or less popular than lice, hemorrhoids, 
hipsters, <laughs> DMV, traffic jams, uh, and of course, Nickelback. And it turns out Trump is less popular than, you know, not just the rest of the presidential candidate field, but then all of these folks, basically, other than hemorrhoids and cockroaches. Those are the only places where Trump is more, oh, the only matchups where Trump is more popular. He is less popular than lice. Less popular than jury duty. Hey. That's right. It's Kristen. <laughs> Kristen could attest I got to. out of jury duty because of Donald Trump. It comes full circle. L- less popular than hipsters. <laughs> less popular than all these things. Root canals even. I mean, how many people even get root canals? Anyway, so all of these things are more popular than Trump. So I guess that's not a surprise. There's there's Novocaine for a root canal. There's no Novocaine for this election. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And some of these things have some, right, root canals actually redeem it. You have to go to the DMV. I don't think hipsters are all bad all the time. Um, but some of these other things are pretty terrible, for sure. But you're, I probably agree with America. They are better than Donald Trump. So that was the poll of the week. But we had some big news this past week in that we had uh, some primaries yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday, and there were primaries Tuesday on the Democratic side and the Republican side. Um, Sanders, as expected, won West Virginia. It was a state that Clinton won in 2008. Sanders won this time. And one of the questions that emerged from the exit polls, and this is a new question. We have not seen this in the exits from any of the other previous polls. So good job, the folks at Edison and Joe Lenski, previous host, I mean guest, uh, for adding this, which is how would you vote in November? Um, And whether... It was a, you know, Clinton-Trump matchup or a Sanders-Trump matchup. In the Democratic primary, you had a a third to slightly over a third of Democrats saying that they would vote for Trump and, you know, 15 to 20 percent saying they would vote. They weren't sure who they were going to vote for. They're going to vote for neither. I mean, these are pretty troubling numbers. I, I think my sense is looking at these that West Virginia is a little bit of an anachronism compared to some of the other states. But I know this was a lot of talk on Tuesday night about what does this mean? Does this mean Clinton's in trouble? You know, in Clinton versus Trump, it's 44, Clinton 36, Trump in the Democratic primary. Sanders is at 51. So it's not like he does that much better, really. Um, it's definitely troubling. I, I don't know. What did you think when you looked at this? Well, in a sense, West Virginia is a state that is just tailor-made for Donald Trump when you think about the types of demographics he does well with. This is a state that has a lot of white, working-class, blue-collar folks who have not seen any of the economic growth that's happened in the last 10 or 15 years come anywhere close to helping them or benefiting them. Um, And especially if you work in West Virginia in the coal industry, uh, Hillary Clinton has not been particularly pro-coal. So in this sense, it didn't surprise me that much. Um, and and I, I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Democrat, it, only because West Virginia is not a state that, like, Hillary Clinton's going to try to put in play. Right. You know, if you were seeing numbers like this in Ohio, Florida, then then let's talk. But I think it's in some sense, it's the unique demographics of West Virginia and the issues that matter there and the type of voter that Trump really appeals to and all of that that is fueling this. And in a way, I mean, didn't Hillary Clinton like West Virginia was her type of state right in the last Democratic yeah. primary Ish. back in 2008. And yeah. her fortunes have really flipped around right. since then. Right. And, you know, there's just and part of it is just, you know, people are 
there's a Democratic advantage or there's you know, been a lot of dem- registered Democrats in West Virginia, but it's not really a Democratic stronghold anymore. It's just a changing state in terms of its party allegiance, which may be reflected here. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, these numbers are pretty interesting. They're part of this theory that you see out a lot that a lot of Sanders voters are really going to be Trump voters. I don't know. How many of those people, how many of those, of course, everybody exists. Every combination of folks exists, right? But I don't know how many total aggregate nationwide Sanders, hardcore primary voters who turned out for the first or second time in a primary, they voted for Sanders, and then come November, they're still mad and they're going to vote for Trump. I just don't know how many of those people there are and if that's enough to hurt Clinton in a general election. I don't know if we can know that even right now because people are at their peak identification of the primary because it's in the middle of the primary season. That may all change. Um, So I wouldn't want to get over nervous about these numbers here, but it is the kind of thing that I know, you know, people are thinking about like, well, you know, these Sanders voters are going to go to Trump. I'm not sure how how prevalent that is, but this means that that, those folks do for sure exist. If you are looking to uh, flip the bird at the establishment when November rolls around, certainly a Donald Trump vote will continue to stand for that. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and I mean, I think in one sense, it th- this is a very this could be a very volatile election. Like on the one hand, there's a, a thousand and one data points that suggest Donald Trump ha- like could lose Georgia could lose Utah. You know, like you like you see polls that call some of these deep red states into question or a state like North Carolina that if it is flipped blue, like you're not winning Pennsylvania. Sorry. Right, right. Um on the other hand, if people are this mad and they just decide I don't like either of these people, are they really choosing the lesser of two evils or would they choose the worse of the two evils if they at least thought that evil would be disruptive? And blow up the system. I don't and know. that's what we don't know. And that's like so I had to look this up because I before I did this fake eyelashes situation, Fox hit today. One of the things that we were potentially going to talk about is how do these polls compare to where things were four years ago? And so I looked up the Fox News poll from May like 13th through 15th, 2012. And Mitt Romney had a net favorable of like mm-hmm. 50 or 45, 43, you know, not overwhelmingly positive, but not like what we're seeing for Clinton he, or for Trump. He was net unfavorable most of the cycle, if I remember he, it correctly. Was, it flipped back and forth. But actually at the toward the end, he wasn't really I mean, it was like a weak positive. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even like when we think back to these other elections, we think like, oh, I remember back then feeling like it was the lesser of two evils. Mm-hmm. But the data does not bear out. That it was the kind of, oh, my God, lesser of two evils that people are really feeling right now. And I think that means a lot of assumptions about people falling into their own partisan camps and whatever. Like, you may just have to throw some of that out the window if people are this ticked off. So speaking of general election matchups and states in play, a lot of folks were yapping about this week the latest quinnipiac battleground state poll trump's new favorite pollster florida ohio and pennsylvania they've been polling in battleground states for a while i think they do this wave and then they have like a north carolina colorado and virginia wave i think um so this was the florida ohio and pennsylvania wave and these numbers are the closest numbers we've seen in this general election in some of these battleground states. You know, t- Florida's essentially tied. Clinton's up one. Uh, uh, in Ohio, Trump's up. And in Pennsylvania, it's basically tied. Clinton's up one. I mean, 
these numbers are troubling because obviously they need to be strong. You know, these are clear battlegrounds for a reason, right? They should be strong um, Clinton places. And the thing that's interesting is last week, remember last week, all the polls showed Clinton was just running away with it around the country in the if you looked at the um, electoral college projections, she had like 350 electoral votes in a she was completely running away with it all over the place. Uh, states like Utah were in play and so on. And I, there was a quote, I had a quote in you know, Steve Shepard, again, former guest of the show. And I'm like, there's going to be a time, like we shouldn't get complacent where they're going to be tied in the polls and everybody's going to, you know, freak out. Like this is going to happen eventually. Surprise! I think it was going to happen like the next week. <laughs> like, I'm a genius. No. <laughs> I mean, this, obviously the numbers will get close, but I did not think they would happen, you know, a week later. But then People were saying like this tweet. I mean, what about this tweet about their college educated waiting in Quinnipiac? I mean, I guess you can always say, well, these polls are right. And and Quinnipiac has been a controversial ish pollster. I like them because they put full cross tabs out Agreed. and most pollsters don't do that. Right. So from that perspective, they give me a lot to work with. But we have had guests on the show before that have been critical of Quinnipiac, like by name. Um, and, you know, suggested that maybe their numbers aren't super accurate. And here we ha- there was a debate on Twitter that Patrick Ruffini from Echelon and a couple others were engaged in that basically looks at the uh, percentage of sample that is weighted versus unweighted in these polls and finds that unweighted, you have majorities of the sample that are not college educated um, and that once they applied their weights, the college educated percentage shrank big time, um, far below even what the 2012 exit polls showed. So there was this this Twitter debate about should Quinnipiac be waiting to the American Community Survey, which is a study of Americans, should they be using those demographics to wait a study of registered voters to predict what voter turnout? Is it better to wait to the exit poll? I mean, so there's a whole lot of considerations there. And are they waiting... Are, they're actually waiting college educated as opposed to waiting something else like age or something else that then reduces these. So it, or we it, don't it know. wasn't clear to me from this whole Twitter exchange, but this tweet was basically suggesting that this these polls could be skewed. Yay, we're finally in poll. Are the polls <laughs> skewed? Time, oh lord, it's going to be a long six months. Um, you know that if you're waiting down college educated, is this helping Trump and inflating his numbers. Now, in the past, Republicans have usually been pretty good with college educated voters, not necessarily ones with like graduate degrees, but college degrees was was a demographic that Romney did reasonably well with. But that's kind of getting turned on its head a little bit now. And the assumption is that Trump does less well with college educated, better with those who have less than a degree. So is that helping him? Now, the other thing that's funny, so again, part of my Fox hit, when I was on, I was on with uh, Mo Alethi, and we were ta- just talking about, you know, this poll and the Quinnipiac poll came up in the segment. They were like, but look, Trump is so close. And I didn't, I was just, as soon as they started talking about the poll, I thought, oh, am I going to have to explain this whole college educated versus non-college educated? Are they waiting correctly? Like, n- Nobody watching Fox wants me to, to do this. And like the producers will be like, all right, let's not bring this girl back again. Luckily, they then went to. But her lashes. To, oh, but her I'm lashes. so confused. But then they went to Mo, and Mo was like. And how did Mo's lashes look? I just need to know. <laughs> his, uh, his response was that, you know, I, this poll could very well be an outlier. And I was like, all right, at least Mo said it. So I don't have to, I don't have to deal with it. As soon as the segment ended, Donald Trump tweeted out, 
the screen grab from the segment showing the polls. And so I was like, that's the second time that Donald Trump has tweeted about a segment that I've been in, but didn't tweet at me. You know what? Oh, thank you, Donald Trump, for maybe, sparing my Twitter mention. Maybe he's, maybe he's scared to get in a Twitter war with you. <laughs> you know, I remember back when I wanted to provoke a Twitter war with Trump, and now I'm just, I'm 0% interested. No, you'd, be, got time you'd be better off going on the Margie O'Mara college tour. That would be better. <laughs> better for my health. Better for your health. So yet again, Kristen's attempt at almost getting into a Twitter war with Donald Trump foiled. Meanwhile, Nate Silver went on a Twitter war with America, <laughs> where he released a seven-tweet rant um, saying, you know, for FFS, America, you're going to make me go on a general election poll rant in May. Um, and so this is about, you know, this worry that, like, you know, people are spending too much time looking at general election polls right now. It's too early to talk about general election polls. They don't mean anything. Just like, you know, by the same token, there are lots of folks saying the fact that Sanders does better in the general election matchups doesn't mean anything because it's, you know, he hasn't been battle tested through general and all this stuff is still too preliminary since, you know, 85 billion things are going to happen between now and November. So that was, I guess, the summary of what Nate said. You could make an argument that the reason why that maybe the Quinnipiac poll is not skewed or whatever, that maybe the reason why Trump is suddenly having a better go of it in this general election poll is that he has locked up his nomination while Hillary Clinton has right. not locked he up He got hers. a bounce. Yeah. So he got a little bounce from all these Republicans who are starting to come home to him. Now, is the party going to unify? Who knows? I'm really excited to see what he and Paul Ryan have to say to one another in this little confab. But for the moment, if he's locked up the nomination, it's likely that he will see a little bit of a bounce as some of these Republicans kind of come home to their nominee. Right. And it's it's definitely not a an outlier in the fact that, that, you know, that the race may be narrowing this week at this moment in the general election, because a survey monkey found the same thing in their tracking mm-hmm. from this week where they have Clinton five points over Trump. I mean, remember, she's been, you know, double digits or she'd been high single digits over Trump in a lot of averages. But here she's 49, 44 with Sanders again at 53 to 40. So, you know, he's got a larger margin. So that is consistent with some of the, some of the national atmospherics. Again, it's probably a post-nomination bounce. Yeah. I also never realized just how large the sample size was of these NBC News Survey Monkey weekly tracking polls, that the sample is 12,714 adults. That's huge. So I, I guess I just never yeah. realized the scale of how many people they were posing these questions to. Yeah. Well, pretty cool. We pretty are cool. going to get John Cohen on. I spoke to him at my panel last week, although I could not grab him. He's like, I'm on my way literally to the airport, but I will come on anytime, anytime except right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we will well, well with a sample size that large, that's how you're able to drill down on things like, for instance, Republicans under the age of 30. This is a if you just did a survey of a thousand registered voters. Okay, your Republicans are going to make up, you know, like a third or less of your sample. And then of those, how many of them are under 30? Not enough to be a standalone thing you can study. But in SurveyMonkey, because you're talking 12K. It's just only, you know, Chris is not even under 30. So, you know, know. some of Kristen's friends answer. (laughs) I know. I'm not not really a young Republican anymore. Sad face. Just a sign. It's just a sign. I'm a millennial Republican, even if not a young Republican. Actually, I think technically the young Republicans lets you in until you're 40. The, the young Republicans let you in until you're <laughs> Remember in the, in the, in the, the autopsy report, I'm not supposed to call it the autopsy report, the Growth and Opportunity Project report, they 
there's a line that says like we have a youthful chairman in Reince Priebus. And that was that was like my favorite line in the report. <laughs> Reince, Reince. That's pretty funny. We have a youthful chairman. I mean, he is technically he's like he and Ted Cruz are like 40 somethings. Anyhow, I digress. In this poll, they have a subsample of Republicans under 30. And they said if the general election was being held today between Trump and Sanders, uh, about 15 or pardon me, about, uh, you know, like a, there's like a very small slice. Um, 18 percent of uh, Republican leaning voters say they would support uh under support under 30 say they would support Clinton. But if it was against sorry, if it's Trump versus Clinton, 18 percent of young Republicans defect to Clinton. If it's Trump versus Sanders, 30 percent of young Republicans defect to Sanders. Interesting stuff. Right. Not just about ideology. Sometimes it's about is this candidate talking about the issues that matter to me? Right. Right. His youthful appearance is his. <laughs> We have a youth, eyelashes. We have a youthful nominee in <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Um, so there's lots of cool stuff from Pew out this week about uh, media consumption, which is always interesting, and how it's changing. And they do a great job of really studying this and try to drill down. And, and I think you know one of the things that was particularly surprising is they looked at long form versus short form articles, which I thought was such a cool thing because people are always lamenting that there's no more long form and articles are basically like three sentences and an optimized headline and, you know, the world's coming to an end and you need to summarize the long form articles with bullets. Otherwise, people don't make it to the bottom of the story. All of that jazz. But meanwhile, Pew found that long form articles are getting more than twice the engaged time. I mean, I guess that makes sense since they're they're longer. But They also get the same number of visitors as short-form articles per article. So I I thought that was pretty interesting. I think that was a lot of good news for folks who write that and sort of the renewed interest in these kind of longer-form, more in-depth reporting projects. So um, there was also a similar uh, poll in Pew, again, released at the same time, um, about cell phones. More visits to articles come from Facebook, while Twitter referrals spend more time engaged. So they looked at people who looked at an article, whether they came from Facebook or whether they came from uh, Twitter, long form versus short form. Facebook is particularly good source of short form um, relative to Twitter. Um, that gap between Facebook and Twitter is a little bit smaller in long form. Um, but, you know, I, you get the average the average time spent in your engagement was the same, basically, Facebook and Twitter for short form. Um, Twitter folks spend a little bit more time with long form than Facebook. I mean, I all thought that this was pretty interesting because, again, too, we've talked about this before. When people are thinking about news consumption, where you get your news, you can get your news from Facebook and Twitter. It doesn't mean it's just some angry rant from somebody in your family, your crazy uncle, it could be in an article that your colleague posted that you then went and read. That's still getting your news from Facebook. It's hard for people to report that clearly. But what Pew did was they actually looked at anonymized data. So they're not asking people to do self-report, which made it particularly interesting. I and mean, what did you think when you saw this? Yeah, I always love these studies because we're, we consistently find that you know people will say, oh, Facebook's my number one source of news. But Facebook doesn't employ a single reporter like the biggest producer of news doesn't have any reporters the biggest provider of transportation uber doesn't own any cars the big you know like if you look across the economy you've got all of these interesting examples of where companies are being built to provide 
content or rides or whatever, but like they don't provide it. They're just the connector. They connect consumers to what it is they want to consume. And so um, I'm also glad that more people are consuming long forms because, I mean, I am interested that they define long form here as a thousand words or more. Like I write my column each you know week for the examiner and, and it's that's like less, 850 or so words. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine that like adding 150 words make, suddenly makes that like long form. It still right. always feels super short to me. Right, right. But maybe not to someone reading it. They're like, oh, God, this is terrible. <laughs> make, make I need more. I need more. Make it stop. <laughs> make this Kristen girl stop writing. What? That's it? I need another I will I say another 150 I, words. One, the only, one of the only things that is a deterrent for me to read news on my mobile device, even though I'm pretty much glued to it, is a lot of you guys out there, particularly on the right, I'm not going to call out any names, but you have some super spammy mobile advertising situations going on. Mm. When I try to read your content, it forces me to app something dot XYZ and then takes me to the app store and I can't get out of it. And so unnamed favorite conservative periodical need to check yourself because I haven't been able to read your articles for weeks because of your crazy ads. Ugh. Not okay. Yeah, no, I don't like that. And then I feel like some like I did something wrong. I'm like, like if no. give, just give me a way to like click around the right. ad or okay, I've seen it. There you go. You get your revenue <laughs> now. I get to read the article. Don't spam me with some creepy app I have to download. Yeah, it's not happening. Agreed. Agreed. I think we can all get behind that. Rant over. Um. So the Gallup had something pretty interesting. We're not going to spend too much time on it, but it is something that is very much at odds with sort of the conventional wisdom that students are over-tested. It's something you hear about a lot in focus groups. Parents talk about it, even if you're not asking about education. It's just like a common sort of refrain that- We're it, ruining our children by testing. Yes, we're teaching the test. There's goal of this testing, 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 testing is such a problem. And it is a problem in that Folks who are superintendents or principals or teachers, all clear majorities of those folks, according to Gallup, say that there's too much time being spent on assessments. Um, Parents are more divided. 48 say too much time. 44 say the right amount. Nobody really says too little, hardly anybody. But students, two-thirds of students say they spend the right amount of time on assessments. And a quarter of them say, no, we spend too much. I mean, I found that fascinating. It is really at odds with everything that you hear from parents and teachers in focus groups. I've done a ton of work on education policy, and this is always the thing that people get all up in arms about. And really, I mean, testing, while everybody has reasons for hating it, having some kind of scores or objective measures of how students are doing is like a necessary thing for a whole bunch of other Mm -hmm. education policy stuff to work. Um, So getting testing and assessment right is so important. And it just fascinates me that there's this idea that like students are constantly like living in fear of what their state tests will say. And yet maybe it's that students like that it's like, you know, like do schools give kids like a day off for, you know, to prep for this test? Like this just the divergence of answers is fascinating. I know. I know. Right. I mean, I would never have thought that. And And I I do. I mean, testing has increased a lot even since I was in school. I remember having to take FCAT, which was the the state standardized test that Jeb Bush pioneered and Mm -hmm. made him famous or infamous, depending on your point of view. Um, And I remember thinking that FCAT was kind of boring and I just I felt like kind of a waste of time to me, but right. it didn't feel like like, oh, my gosh, we should absolutely not be doing this. Like I kind of got, OK, I get why we have to do this so that they can prove that like the school is producing people that can read. OK, that's fine. 
So maybe right. that's why kids are okay with it. I don't know. I mean, maybe they have, to, you know. Or maybe of, they're just getting free snacks. I have like, no, on test day. I don't know. I had to <laughs> take like I it. had to take the Texas test when I went to the University of Texas since we we're talking about my college experience because I was from out of state. So anyone who came from out of state had to take it just to demonstrate whatever. They got rid of that requirement after a while, but not when I was there. And so I went in to take it and the person behind me like threw up in the like ten oh, minutes into the class because he was just no. like a hungover college kid oh, and just not like, like a nervous kid. No, no, this was college. So everybody was there because they had like failed it. Plus, I was there because I was from out of state, and he just you know couldn't didn't want to be up that early. Oh, see, so you always I, there. Are, there's this like I don't know if it's an urban legend or what, but in focus groups, the anecdote I hear a lot is like there was a kid in my kid's class who threw up because he was so nervous about the testing. The hangover barfing is, is no. Different. I don't think this guy was nervous. No, that was not <laughs> he was completely unfazed by everything around him. <laughs> All right. Well, the other poll that Gallup has put out uh, has is a part of their daily tracking. They have been testing uh, the brand image of things like small business, entrepreneurs, free enterprise, capitalism, big business, the federal government, and socialism. And the conventional wisdom is that socialism is having its like hot moment right now. Like socialism is Beyonceing. Like it's right. you know just having its fabulous That's right. summer of socialism. That's right. <laughs> uh, Gallup begs to differ. So back in January of 2010, and remember, this is around the time that like the Tea Party movement was kind of getting rolling. 36% of people, this has had a positive view of socialism um, that went up to 39% briefly after the 2012 election. But nowadays, as of May 4th, it's only at a 35% positive rating. I mean, we would call this, I think, in, uh, technically a wash, right? These are basically There's consistent. There's no real change. There's and no real and change. capitalism is viewed positively by 60%. Now, again, as we talked about on the show, I think last week or the week before, the Harvard IOP poll right. showed that for younger voters, the gap between capitalism and socialism is a little smaller. That for a lot of young voters, socialism doesn't sound like, you know, the Soviet Union. It's... Denmark. Right. Um, so I wonder if that, you know, but it's fascinating to see that for the overall electorate, socialism is somehow not having this fabulous moment. Right. And free enterprise does even better than capitalism, which I thought was interesting as a phrase. Uh, and I think it totally makes sense. And any of my center right people who are listening, I'm going to get all Frank Lentz on you for a second. <laughs> free enterprise. Better than capitalism. Think yeah. about it. Yeah. Free markets. Better. You know, I mean, these are small but, business, 96% positive. Big business, only 53% well, positive. that for sure. But free enterprise sounds to me like a – it sounds like a think tank phrase. It doesn't sound to me like it's in the kind of common vernacular that you hear politicians use. But I guess it should be looking at this. Well, yeah. I mean, it's – well, you have the American Enterprise Institute, Maybe home of my – <laughs> my favorite, Arthur Brooks. Uh, but I mean, to me, I, I almost wonder, so free markets aren't on here. I wonder how free enterprise matches up with free markets. Like enterprise seems like I'm striving to like take risks and do cool things and right. like create something new. Whereas I feel like I wonder if I feel like the word free mark or the phrase free market has taken a bit of a beating. Mm. Then again, this is all just based on gut. And my gut would have told me that socialism was having a moment. And yep. the data says... Nope. Well, that's why it's in this week's show, because I would have thought that, too, especially based on the Harvard IOP. We are here IOP. to debunk myths. Debunk even ourselves. Um, Mythbusters. So here's some other polling you could totally use, and that is, 
YouGov helpfully looked through the profiles <laughs> of people's of dating sites and the restaurants they go to and their party leanings. I just noticed the Chuck E. Cheese thing <laughs> on this poll. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, this thing is pretty funny. I um, I mean, some of this stuff, I've never even heard of Zoosk. So they compare Tinder, Match.com, eHarmony, and Zoosk. And, of course, I'm old enough to remember when it was kind of secretive and weird to meet somebody online. Now, everybody does it, and there's all kinds of zillions of websites. Folks who listen to this podcast probably listen to the Startup podcast, and they had a whole season about dating uh, apps about like they were following a company that was trying to come up with its own dating website and app. Um, and there's just a billion of these. And so they just talked about four. I've never even heard of Zeus. Um, eHarmony, I'm not surprised, is a little bit more Republican leaning. Um, so that what I thought was particularly interesting about all of these that the, the, um, the people on all of them are tend to be male. Um, so Zeus customers are generally male, 45 to 64. eHarmony skews toward males, 30 to 44. While Match.com swings light, slightly to the right. And it's also generally men, 45 to 64. And they, here are all the various places they go. Tinder folks go to Denny's, Starbucks, Five Guys, and Arby's. <laughs> Tinder people... Going to Arby's is just <laughs> perfect in my mind. It's just perfect. Match.com, IHOP, um, Chuck E. Cheese, right? What? Like, okay. I guess they have kids. Dunkin' Donuts and Friendlies. I guess they have kids, right? I guess. I guess. But even if you have kids, don't go to Chuck E. Cheese, people. Come on. <laughs> eHarmony, Outback. I guess these are the big spenders. They go to Outback, Ruby Tuesdays, Starbucks, and Dairy Queen. And then Zeusk. Go to Chuck E. Cheese, Red Lobster, Sonic, and Ryan's. I've never heard of Ryan's. I've never heard of Ryan's either. Um, I got to tell you, I don't don't really – none of these places are really any of my faves. I mean, I guess I go to Starbucks, obviously. There's some other app out there that – there's a a guy friend of mine who uses these. And so I've been, like, learning about them via his experience. Uh, There's also one out there now, I guess, called Bumble. And I think on Bumble, it has to be the woman who initiates because like on so many of these, you'll read all these horror stories about women who like sign up and they just get the ever loving bejesus spammed out of them (laughs) of like creepsters like, hey, lady, want to hook up? And like, nope, not interested. Right. So I I feel like on Bumble, it's like I, I, I might be confusing this with a different service, but there's one of them that like requires like the woman has to say. It's okay. You don't seem like a total axe murderer before. That's good. Yeah. No axe murderer. So I wonder name. if that would be if there would be a different uh like I wonder what Where restaurants Bumble users. Bumble folks would go. I don't know, right? I mean there the the one that was profiled in the startup podcast, it was run by two women and their competitive advantage initially was that they didn't have any pictures because they wanted people to you know, use personality. And for some folks, particularly folks who were, you know, open to a variety of folks from all kinds of backgrounds, that was great because otherwise, you know, people make quick judgments about other folks. But lots of people were like, wait, I need, I'm sorry, I need to have a picture. And so that was one of the real oh, pain yeah. points. There was one time, so as I mentioned, I, my this guy friend who who was using some of these services, we were all a group of us like waiting to get into it. It was like Rose's luxury um, a couple of months ago. And, you know, you have to wait like two or three hours at Lola's next door <laughs> until your table comes up. And so he like passed us his phone and was like, all right, 
swipe left or swipe right. Like, pick me some winners. And I felt so conflicted about it. I was like, what if I – so I think if you swipe left, that's a no, and a right, it's a yes. Like, what if I swipe left on his future wife? Like, what if there's the woman that he's supposed to meet, and I make some snap judgment because I'm like, uh, really? I don't like the collar on that shirt. Yeah, I mean, I don't uh, – like – and then we were, of course, telling him he needed to tweak his profile because he needed to sell the experience of him better. <laughs> there is somebody out there. I'm sure there's lots of people who do this, but I've heard of somebody in Washington, folks, who will help you write your profile and manage your thing for you. Yes. For marketing yourself. Match.com consultants. Of course. This could be something that we do on the side. Oh we God. like this focus group hustle. people's. Dating profiles. Please don't tweet us your dating profiles, folks. Oh, God. <laughs> Especially not. <laughs> not yet. One, we one have of, to set up that functionality on our website regularly like, <laughs> sends me the horror stories of things that she gets. It's like, put your shirts on, guys. Right. First and foremost, <laughs> put your damn shirts on. All right. I digress. No, those are that's good advice. That's free <laughs> advice. That is just the tip of the iceberg of the advice that we'll give you <laughs> for your dating profile. Number step one, put a shirt on. Okay, so key findings. If Make America Great Again doesn't work out, Trump can transition to Trump, more popular than hemorrhoids. But how popular is Trump compared to school testing? I guess that's a question for further study. Long form is back in, sort of like other retro habits like canning tomatoes or pencils. Um, it's too early to talk about too early it is, how too early it is to look at general election polling. Well, not for us. Good thing I'm not single because it doesn't seem to be any dating app for people who are Democratic women who like white wine and oysters on the half shell. You can find us on Twitter at, at @thepolsters. Individually, we're at Margie O'Mero and at Soltis Anderson. Find us at thepolsters.com, where throughout the week we will have um, our show notes, and on Facebook we will post links to topics we might discuss. Also, stay tuned. Make sure you like our Facebook page. In the coming weeks, we are going to try to figure out this whole Facebook Live thing and begin taking questions from listeners during the first couple of minutes our show in our show each week. So make sure that if you have not liked the Polsters Facebook page. You go ahead and do that so that we can pop up in your feed when we go live. Yep. And we have almost a thousand Facebook lights on our page. So, And you guys are so active and you comment on things. That's it's right. wonderful. That's right. Okay. Thanks. See you next week.